Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Abgenommen bedauert. Dr. Six Gun. Across the rugged Indian territory rides a tall young man on a mission of mercy. His medical bag strapped on one hip, his six shooter on the other. This is Dr. Six-Gun. The first episode in the exciting adventure series, Dr. Six-Gun. Ray Matson, M.D., was the gun-toting frontier doctor who roamed the length and breadth of the old Indian territory. Friend and physician to white men and Indian alike, a symbol of justice and mercy in the lawless west of the 1870s, this legendary figure was known to all as Dr. Sixgun. Dr. Sixgun was my friend. Me? Well, they called me Pablo. It's as good a name as any for a gypsy. <laughs> I am a peddler, and I have many things in my pack. There is not much of which I am proud, but there is one thing. I can call Doc Sixgun my friend. Huh? Hello? <laughs> <laughs> this one, this black raven, is also my friend. Hey, midnight! Huh? Hello? <laughs> Well, a bird that talks is no more strange than a man who sings. But let me tell you of my friend, the doctor. It was in the spring of 1871 that the wagon train came into the territory. Pennsylvania Germans they were, and on the whole, a respectable lot. Except for one man. Well. We wandered into that camp one April morning, midnight and I, to see what we could sell them. And there, our story begins. What is it, Mr. Gold? Ruth Randall tells me you got a sick Indian boy in your wagon. That's right. He comes stumbling into camp about 20 minutes ago. Half delirious. Said his village was sick. I'm going to move north. You don't say. Get him out. Now, wait a minute. I said get him out. Well, I happen to own this wagon, Mr. Gort. And I happen to be leader of this wagon train. We've been starving in these rocks for six months now. We can't afford sickness. Where is he? Inside. Okay, Injun, on your feet. On your feet, I said, understand? Well, he's one of them Spanish-talking mescalero Apaches. He don't savvy. 
He'll savvy this. Oh, don't hit him, Cole. I'll hit him if it makes a move. Come on, now. Here, let me, let me help you, young fella. Now, easy, easy. Let me help you down. Okay, Membrano. Move. Get. Can't you see he's too weak? A couple of bullets are on his feet and he'll move. Okay, maybe you caught, please. Out of the way. Pardon me, gentlemen. Who the devil are you? My name is Pablo, sir. I am a peddler. Stop raving away from me. Midnight. Midnight, come here. He will not harm you, sir. He's a pet. Right, Midnight? Right. Did I hear him talk? Oh, Midnight does many things. Watch. Midnight. Midnight, untie my sack. Look at that. I don't care if he's a genius. Keep him away till we take care of this engine. Gentlemen, please, I could not help but overhearing. The boy is sick, is he not? He'll be a lot sicker if he don't get. Perhaps I could help. I am on my way to see a friend of mine in Frenchman's Fort, a physician. I will take the Indian boy along. Oh, that's mighty nice of you, stranger. Pablo. <laughs> and this is midnight. <laughs> My name's Willie James. This is our leader, Aaron Gore. I'm going to round up the men folks for a meeting. See that this engine is gone before we start. Mr. James, would you help me tie the Indian boy to my mule? He seems very weak. Oh, sure thing, Pablo. All right. Careful. Thank you. Perhaps I will come back here and sell some trinkets to your people. Eh? Not to this wagon train. This is a bad luck outfit. We ran out of money, had to butcher our oxen for food. We've been stuck here six months. When winter comes, I don't know what'll happen. My wife and little girl. Well, you best be going. Well, perhaps I will return anyway. Adios. What's the name of this doctor friend of yours? Doc Sixgun. Oh, you've heard of him? Oh, who hasn't? <laughs> Only doctor I ever know to pack six shooter on his hip. Oh, he come up a few weeks ago, treat my missus. Wouldn't take a cent. Yes, that sounds like my friend. Well, sir, adios. Come along, midnight. <laughs> me, doctor, do you have any cure for a restless soul? Pablo, you old <laughs> son of a gun, where you been? Where have I not been? <laughs> How are you, old friend? Just fine. You look well. <laughs> Weep before God, laugh before people. <laughs> However, well, come I in, come in, stay a few weeks, stay a year. Where's midnight? Oh, you see you. There you are, you old seagull. We <laughs> see you in the dark. Well, Pablo, you coming? One moment, please. I have a sick Indian outside. A sick Indian? Well, why didn't you say so? Bring him in. You'll have to help me carry him. Sure, sure. Oh, right here he is. Now, don't be afraid, boy. This man will help you. Easy now. Let's lift him in. Careful. All right. Put him down here. All right. Ah, I'll hold the lantern. Why, I know this boy. So? His name is Modi Pony. He's the son of an Apache chief. Well, let's see what... Uh-oh. Shiris? Measles. Well, that doesn't sound so bad. Not to a white man. To an Indian, it can be as fatal as bubonic plague. Oh. He seems over the worst of it. Mm -hmm. Modi Pony. Hola. 
Can thou hear me? I hear thee, white eyes. My people. What of thy people? The spotted sickness. How many? Ten warriors have gone to their hunting grounds in so many days. The shaman, Grey Fox, urges us to leave our home and go into the snow country. My father is against it. I went for help to the camp of the White Eyes. What does he say? Their uh, medicine man wants them to go north. Why north? The only way they know to fight the measles is with freezing climate. It arrests the disease. Oh. The only trouble is that a sick tribe moving north in winter usually starves to death in roots. Something can be done, surely. Padalo, you stay here and take care of the boy. I think you'll be all right. I'll get up there and try to help his people. Maybe I can persuade him to stay. Oh, that's dangerous country. The Apaches don't trust the white men. Well, I'll have to chance it. If I can isolate the active cases, I may be able to control it. In any case, they mustn't move off the land. That wagon train of settlers could move in and claim it under the law. That's rich country. I'll stay. I'll have to pack in a hurry. I'll need plenty of fever pills and morphine. Talking about the land the government give them stinking Apaches in the peace treaty with Cochise. They don't farm that land. All they do is hunt on it. Oh, what good is that, Joe? I'll tell you what good. There's an epidemic of measles in the Apache village. One of them comes stumbling into camp this afternoon. Well, I found out that their medicine man is telling them to move north, off the land. That means we move in. Except... Except for one thing. There's a fella named Doc Sixgun on his way to that village to stop the epidemic. Now, the way I look at it, either we stop Doc Sixgun from reaching that village, or we die. I say stop him. Wait a minute. Listen. Listen to me. You know what you're doing? Are you willing to trade your souls for a few acres of dirt? When we left Pennsylvania to come out west, we had a dream. We wanted to be free men on our own land, beholden to nobody. What's happened to you? You can't eat dreams. This is inhuman. Listen to this dreamer, men. We've had all we can stand. It's time for action. Let's go. Stop. I'll shoot the first man that moves. Willie James, put down that gun. I mean it. I can't stand by and see this happen. How can we hold up our heads? Nice work, Luke. That's what's going to happen to anybody else who lily livers out. Come on. Come on, boy. 
cowboy. Who is it? Who's up on those rocks? Put up your hands! Put up your hands, I said! The next shot will be aimed at you! Okay, they're up. Climb down, men. Take them. medical bag. You'll find nothing worth stealing. We ain't crooks. If you're not, why not take off those masks? I'll give the orders, doctor. Now, empty that medical bag. All right. You win. Drop the stuff on the ground. Stethoscope. Narcotics. Scalpels. Needles. Catgut. Splints. Anything else? Uh, just one thing. What? This. Don't anybody move. You see that? Shot the rifle right out of his hand. I carry an extra gun in my bag for emergency operations, Mr. Galt. Now take off those masks, all of you. Makes you feel a little exposed without a mask, doesn't it, gentlemen? And not quite so brave. You grown men should be ashamed of yourselves, playing vigilante at your age. Don't move, Galt. Now get down and pick up that stuff and put it back in my bag. Hurry up, I haven't got time to waste. Close it. Throw it here. Now, I'd suggest that none of you boys try to follow me. I'd suggest you all go home and take care of your family. Come on, Faye. Let's go. Mount up, men. We're going after him. Mount up, I say. Let's go home. You'll regret this. Hey, shut your mouth. I'm with you, Galt. I've got six kids back in my wagon. It ain't right them Indians have a land, even if it's theirs. All right, Luke. We need that land. Okay. You going after him? He's got too much stock for that. I got a better idea. What's that? Look here. In my hand. Well, it's a glass bottle. Where'd you get that? I found it out of the doc's medical bag when I was putting the things back. Read it. Dr. Matson, prussic acid, 100 grains. <whistles> One grain would kill you dead. Well, what good is that stuff? This stuff? This stuff is going to make Doc Six-Gun wish he'd never tangled with Aaron Gaunt. Let's go. Where to, Gaunt? Frenchman's Fawn. I want to inquire after a sick friend. Oh, Sage. Oh, boy. Hello! Anybody here? Stand, white eyes. What? Do not move. I am Gray Fox, medicine man to the Chiricahua. Who art thou? Medicine man to the White Eyes. What is thy name? I'm called Doc Sixgun. Why dost thou come? I bring strong medicine against the spotted sickness. Gray Fox has made strong medicine. There is nothing to do but leave this place of evil spirits. Go home, White Eyes. I come to see your chief, Tallhorse. I say... Go home. I have given medicine to Modi Pony, the son of Tall Horse. I think you'd better take me to see him. Very well, White Eyes. I do not trust thee. 
But I will take thee to Tall Horse. Follow me. Stand, White Eyes. Here is the organ of the High Council. Enter. Who is this, Sir Sherman? This is Medicine Man of the White Eyes, O Chief. He says he comes in peace. Stay in peace. He says he has ministered to son of Tall Horse. Is it true? I treated thy son only tonight, O Chief. He lives. Thy son will recover. What is thy rank among the white eyes? Brave. Sit by my left hand. Speak. I have medicines to stop the sickness. What medicine? Here, in these blue bottles. Are these magical? They are of a lesser magic, but very strong. Gray Fox counsels us to go north. Give me just two days. What do you say, men of Chiricahua? I do not trust White Eyes. They have betrayed us before. It shall be for the council to decide. Is there consent? If so, break your arrow. All but you, Gray Fox. I have sworn against the White Eyes. As hast thou. The council has decided, White Eyes. But if you do us evil, the revenge of the Chiricahua will be swift and terrible. Now, we make thee our brother. Come down to see how the Indian boy is getting along. Come in, come in. He's feeling much better. The fever has broken. Oh, that's fine, huh, Luke? Hmm? Oh, yeah, oh, sure, sure, that's fine, fine. You, uh, heard from the doc? No. Ah, ah, get out, get out, get Quiet, Midnight, quiet. Mind if I go in to see him? Not at all. Just want to check. Since he came to us, I wouldn't want the Apaches to hold us responsible if anything happened to him. You understand? I will go with you. It is time for his medicine anyway. I'll give it to him. Uh, uh, Luke has a splinter he'd like you to take out. Right, Luke? Hmm? Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's a bad one. Oh, well, I will do it. Here is the medicine for both the pony... I will mix it in the water. So. He knows how to take it. I'll just go in. Now, show me this, uh, this uh, splinter. Uh, it, it's right here in this hand. I see no splinter. It, come in the light. Or it, it pains off. Yeah, you sure? I see nothing. You don't see anything, huh? That's funny. Maybe it's the other hand. Oh, well, I will look. What? What is it? Look. Morty Pony. He's dead. It isn't possible. What happened? I don't know. I gave him the medicine and he took a swallow and went limp. Let me listen for his heart. Well? He is dead. That's what I thought. Stand up and turn around. Huh? 
Why'd you point the gun? Do like I say. Search him, Luke. He's not carrying a gun. All right. You got a buckboard? Yes, he... Put the body of Moody Pony in the back. We're gonna take a journey. And you ain't coming back either. Hey, Gray Fox. What does the White Eyes want? I need help. Take two tablets from the blue group, the glass, and give them to the wife of Long Bear. As thou sayest, White Eyes. Hmm. This child has a temperature. Place him away from the well ones. And uh, watch for the spots. Yes, White Eyes. All right, now. Gray Fox. Yes, our chief. What does the White Eyes? He gives medicine from the blue glass. The effect? They fall into deep sleep. I do not trust it. Have any died? Not yet. Bring me news in the council if anything happens. Why does the council send for me, Gray Fox? Enter the Hogan, White Eyes. Very well. Oh, Chief, I have much work. It is not fair to thy people to... Moody Pony. Gaze upon body of the son of Tall Horse. How... How did he get here? He was brought here by two white eyes, along with Peddler who did this evil thing. Pablo, you all right? He's a lot better than he's gonna be, Doc. What happened, Pablo? I gave Moody Pony the medicine. Galt found him dead. Thus didst minister to son of tall horse, O chief. Hear me now, men of the Chiricahua. For his perfidy, the white medicine man and his friends shall be dishonored and die. Take them hence and tie them to the cactus plant with thongs of wet rawhide. When the sun shall rise full, the thongs will shrink. Then they shall feel the wrath of the Chiricahua Apache after the burial of Modipone. Our people will burn their organs. We shall leave this land of evil spirits forever. No harm to the white eyes who came in peace. Thus has the council ordered... Thongs fastened to the white medicine man and his friend. They are, O oh chief. We will leave them. Come. Along, Doc. You want to speed it up a little? Here's the bottle of prussic acid that killed Modi Pony. Thanks for the use of it. Come away from them. Let them meditate on their sin until the sun shall rise. I start the funeral. We weep for the spirit of Mordi Pony. Easy, Pablo. The thongs begin to press. See, the sun is high. Try not to move. 
see. The vultures come already. Yes. Pablo. Yes. That's no vulture. It's midnight. Midnight. I found it. Midnight. I have a thought. A wild thought, but still... What? My raven can untie knots. What? It's a trick. I would often have him untie the string on my peddler's sack. Midnight. Midnight. The knot. Untie the knot. He's going to the knot. Untie, untie. He's tugging at it. No use. He can't. Wait, he's getting it. Pablo, he's getting it. Thus do I consecrate the body of my son, Modi Pony. Pile the stones on his grave. Wait, O Chief. Six gun. White eyes stands on the rocks. Kill him. Wait. Men of Chiricahua. Speak quickly, for in a moment you shall die on my lance. Men of Chiricahua, I proclaim my innocence. And I risk my life to give proof everlasting. Don't listen to him. I will. Wait. How will you do this, White Eyes? I will do it by raising from the dead your son, Motipony. Oh, he tricks you. This is the strongest medicine of all, White Eyes. Beware. Give me one moment. Doc, how can you do this? Get my medical kit. Galt has it. The doctor needs his medicine bag. It is a trick. We shall see. Give him the bag. Here, Doc. Pray, Pablo. If you do this magic, you are my brother. If not... I'm praying, Doc. Give me the spirits of ammonia from the bag. Spirits of ammonia, ammonia. Here. Now. He desecrates the body of Modipony. Kill him! Stop! Look. His eyes move. He wakes. My son awakes from the dead. Modipony. Modipony, canst thou hear me? Tell us the name of the man who poisoned you. See, O oh chief. He points at this one. Look, run, Seize him! Smoke, go, white eyes. Thou art my brother. Doc. Yes? Please, before I explode like a bomb... What happened? <laughs> when we first saw Modipone's body, I noticed that rigor hadn't set in, even though some hours had gone by. Uh, then when Gold gave us that blue bottle, I remembered that it didn't contain prussic acid at all. Uh, I put morphine in it just before we left and didn't have time to change the label. Then Modipone was never dead? Just drugged into a deep stupor. Uh-huh. The uh, spirits brought him back. Uh? Spirits of ammonia. <laughs> there is a saying among the gypsy people, you cannot get two skins off an ox. You have proved it wrong. You. 
you have been listening to Dr. Six-Gun. Doc Six-Gun is played by Carl Weber and Pablo by William Griffiths. Today's script was written by George Lefferts. Heard in the cast were Peter Capel as Aaron Galt, Kermit Murdoch as Willie James, Donald Buca as Modi Pony, Richard Saunders as Luke, William Keane as Gray Fox, and Craig McDonald as Chief Tallhorse. Six Guns, starring Carl Weber as the Frontier Doctor, with William Griffiths as Pablo, the Wandering Gypsy, has come to you through the worldwide facilities of the United States Armed Forces Radio and Television Service. Across the rugged Indian territory rides a tall young man on a mission of mercy, his medical bag strapped on one hip, his six-shooter on the other. This is Dr. Six-Gun. The National Broadcasting Company brings you transcribed another episode in the exciting adventure series, Dr. Six-Gun. Gray Matson, M.D., was the gun-toting frontier doctor who roamed the length and breadth of the old Indian territory. Friend and physician to white man and Indian alike, the symbol of justice and mercy in the lawless west of the 1870s. This legendary figure was known to all as Dr. Six-Gun. In the territory, we occasionally hear tales of the great men back in the East. The railroad barons, the great meat packers of Chicago and St. Louis, the wizards of high finance who hunt their prey on the streets of Boston and Philadelphia and New York. We hear of the private railway cars with crystal chandeliers and the great estates with stained glass windows and pipe organs in the living rooms. We hear of these tales, and we are impressed by such enterprise and genius. Of course, we too have our wizards of commerce. I myself am one. And who am I? (laughs) Pablo the Gypsy Peddler. And this is my friend Midnight. He is only a bird, but he too is a merchant prince. 100% markup. (laughs) He boasts, but don't you believe it? 
He never makes better than 60%. What? <laughs> but perhaps the greatest example of the modern captain of industry that we have ever seen here in the territory was Jared P. Cale. I uh, first met him one day when I was sitting in the Bull Run Saloon. And in through the swing doors came my good friend Doc Sixgun. It had been raining for a week. And Doc poured the water out of his hat and sat down at my table. Need webbed feet to get across from the livery stable. Well, Doc, is it still raining? Haven't you been outside? In weather like this, Doc, a sane man stays under a dry roof near a warm stove and a full bottle. Well, unfortunately, they don't postpone little things like childbirth for the weather. Oh, anyone I know? Molly Younger, out of Cottonwood Flats. Oh, I, I thought the bridge was out across the river up that way. It is. I had to swim my horse across. But you must have gotten soaked. I did. I dried out a little bit at the livery stable, though. No use changing. I've got to go back out in about an hour. The hand out at the barrel lay with some kind of fever. I promised I'd look in on him. Uh, how is the river out of the uh, Cottonwood Flats? Well, I'd say it was lucky Molly made up her mind to deliver when she did. <laughs> Won't even be able to swim it for tonight. It's a funny thing, Doc. Last summer, the ranchers lost half their stock in drought, and now they may lose the other half by flood. That's pretty bad all over. Rio Verde's over the banks, Dead Man's Ooh. Canyon's a lake. Evening, Doc. <laughs> you look a little damp. I am. Can I get you something? Uh, the usual, I'll say. Uh, ain't no coffee left in the pot, Doc. I'll have to make up some fresh. Be about ten minutes. Say, uh, you hear about the stage yesterday? No. They had to float her across the river to get into town. Looked like a flatboat going down to New Orleans in old days. <laughs> like to broke loose and floated downstream with two gals sitting on the top screaming and Charlie Peters throwing parcels out like it was a sinking ship in the storm. They get through all right? <laughs> yeah, sure, sure. Charlie says he don't know whether the coach will get through tonight, though. They'll have to go around south by the Platte and see if they can get across old Baldy Creek. Well, sounds like we're surrounded. <laughs> I reckon we are, in a way. I suppose it'll stop raining, though. Doesn't take old Baldy long to dry up, even after a flood. Stage is in. Hey, what do you know? Well, they made it. Uh, O'Shea, uh, set me up a double of that poison of yours. I couldn't be no wetter if I was a brook trout hid under a rock. How'd you make it, Charlie? Well, I'll tell you, O'Shea. I drove around this town like Joshua around the walls of Jericho. <laughs> Went clear up around Rio Verde and then back around Old Baldy. Finally swimmer across the ford. How's the river? Well, I tell you, I felt like a Mississippi steamboat captain. If I had to make this trip anymore, I'm I'm going to mount a paddle wheel on the hind end of my coach and trade in my reins for a rudder. I quit palavering, O'Shea, and pour. <laughs> you know, I'd like to see that, Charlie. The Overland stage with smokestack and grand saloon, <laughs> complete with barrel game and brass cut fedoras. <laughs> well, it ain't so doggone funny with that little shirt-tailed crick roaring like it's a Colorado River in flood time. I'll tell you one thing. I ain't taking that coach back tomorrow morning. I'll stay right here till I get my wheels on the ground again. Uh, say, Charlie, did you get my box through all right? Got medical supplies I'll be needing. Oh, it's, it's all right, Doc. I had it tied to the top right alongside the mail pouch. Lucky I tied it down, I... I lost a crate of chickens and three bolts of calico. I darn near lost a passenger. A pa Who'd be fool enough to ride over from Chisholm City in weather like this? A little scrunchy Easterner. <laughs> like to blew away when, when we come over the pass. When we got into Old Baldy, we must have hit a rock, because the first thing I know, the, the guards hollering, man overboard. <laughs> we had to rope him and drag him behind till we hit solid mud on the other side. Then we hauled him back on board and tied him next to your medicine box. 
I ain't never seen a sorrier sight since my hound dog fell into the tar barrel last fall. Well, was he hurt? Maybe I better go see him. Well, you might as well ask him, Doc. That's him coming through the door now. Well, you sure it's the same fella? He ain't covered with no mud. Oh, he's dressed as pretty as a New Orleans gambler from the Mardi Gras. Same fella, all right, but well, he shouldn't sure didn't look like that when I seen him last. Beats me. Good evening, gentlemen. Good evening. Mine host, a glass. Uh... You mean me? Why, yes, I take it you are the proprietor of this establishment? Yeah, yeah, that's me. What'll it be, mister? Ooh, do I have a choice? Yeah, barrel or bottle? Uh, uh, bottle, I think. Ah, uh, my good friend the charioteer, recovering from your labors, I see. Well, where'd you get them dry clothes, mister? Last time I seen you, you looked like a happy sow in a mud hole. Well, I thought it best to freshen up a little before meeting the citizenry of this fair town. I must thank you, my man, for a delightful trip. A bit nautical in spots, but otherwise delightful. O'Shea, pour me another. Uh, Permit me to introduce myself, gentlemen. I am Jared P. Kale, late of Wall Street. Oh, you mean that uh, block in Chisholm City where all them dance halls and other places is? Oh, no, 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 no. I refer to the Wall Street, gentlemen. The original. Surely you've heard of it. You mean in New York City? Ah, a cosmopolite in the wilderness. Now, look here, you. You can't go calling Doc things like that. You don't even know. Oh, now, that's all right, O'Shea. Mr. Kale means it as a compliment. Uh, didn't sound like no compliment uh, to me. May I have the pleasure, sir? I'm Dr. Matson. Doctor, A. Divinity or veterinary medicine? Uh, just plain MD, I'm afraid. A pleasure, sir, a pleasure. Ah, uh, my good publican, this, I take it, is my refreshment. It's whiskey. I don't guarantee nothing. It will do. <clears throat> ah, lovely weather we're having Huh. I find the practice of agronomy benefits from the rain, don't you? Uh, we don't have none of that out here. Only crops. Crops? Oh, yes. I have begun to get the notion, gentlemen, that I have come to the right town. You do? Precisely, gentlemen. Precisely. May I ask what brings you to Frenchman Ford, Mr. Cave? Vision. Vision, gentlemen. Is that right? Gentlemen, I ask you, where is the future of this country? Where is the land which holds the destiny of this vast nation? Where is the manifest golden treasure to be found? Search me. You a prospect? Oh, gentlemen, I know nothing of prospecting, but prospecti? Ah, that is a different story. What kind of heathen talk is that? Do I understand that you're referring to the Latin plural of prospectus? How delightful to find a classic scholar here in the wilderness. I don't get what you're driving at, Mr. Cave. You will, Doctor. You and the entire nation when the time is right. In the meantime, gentlemen, I offer you a toast. To Frenchman's Ford... The happy hunting ground. Uh, hunt? Well, you've come to the wrong place, mister. You ain't gonna do nothing but hunt for fish until this here rain stops. Precisely, gentlemen. Precisely. Shall we drink to it? He was a cheerful little man. And he was dressed something like a cross between a minister, a banker, and an undertaker. He had fine, silky, mutton chop whiskers, and the rest of his face was smooth as a baby's. All the rest of the evening, he sat at the table at the Bull Run and told us tales of that fabulous land far across Old Baldy Creek, which was his natural habitat. It was then that I said to Fisk... Jim, mark my words, you'll never corner the gold market without my help. But did he listen, gentlemen? Did he? Oh, not Jim Fisk. 
And, of course, you all know the result. Uh, yeah, 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 of course. But that reminds me of a similar occasion when I was consulted by William Vincent Astor on the matter of real estate. Bill, I told him, 42nd Street may be out in the country today, but someday it will be valuable real estate. Doc had been called away on his case early in the evening, and when he got back, Mr. Kale had retired to his lodgings, and O'Shea was cleaning the bar. I'll be with you in a minute, Doc. I kept the coffee pot on the back of the stove. It's strong as boiled gunpowder, but it's coffee. Thanks, O'Shea. Well, that's the end of it up at the Rio Verde. There was a log jam at the, up at the Box Canyon. Gave way. Nobody's going to get across that river anymore. Yeah, here you are, Doc. She's hot, but she'll claw your throat on the way down. <coughs> Good. Say, <laughs> you missed all entertainment, Doc. Somebody get shot? No, no. It was a real peaceful evening. I mean that typhoon. Typhoon? Yeah, that financial genius. Hey, ain't that what you call him? I don't think so. A typhoon is a big wind. Uh, yeah. Well, anyways, he can really spin a yarn. Did you know that Jim Fisk built a house with corners made out of pure gold? No, I can't say as I heard that. Well, he tried to. Mr. Kale told him he couldn't do it. Uh, I reckon the gold didn't hold nails. <laughs> Sounds like an exciting evening. Yeah, yeah, it was. I didn't have no idea at all, Doc, that them bankers and such worked like that. According to this here Kale, running the bank is like drawn to an inside street in a strange town with other fellers' deck. Well, that sounds like a good description. Now, of course, if you know the dealer, it's different, ain't it, Doc? Uh, I suppose so. <laughs> That's what I think. Well, good night, Doc. Uh, wait, wait a minute, O'Shea. Hmm? What are you talking about? What did this Mr. Kale tell you? Well, now, Doc, uh, you wouldn't want me to violate a confidence, would you? Well, no. No, I suppose not. Well, <clears throat> all I can tell you, Doc, is that uh, when this here town becomes the roaring, bustling metropolis of the new Atlantis, just you wait and see who is going to have the biggest saloon. say you've been drinking your own whiskey. No, Doc, but just wait and see, that's all. It rained again the next day and the day after. Doc was busy in town with an endless stream of sore throats and fevers from the cold and damp. But in the bull run, strange things were happening. Hey, O'Shea! O'Shea! Where is that lop-eared, swill-serving idiot? What's the matter, Charlie, eh? Peddler, I've been standing here for five mortal minutes, waiting to turn over my good money for that bad whiskey. Yeah. Now you're hiding a hair of O'Shea if I seen. Why, well, you wouldn't leave the bar unattended. I'd reach over and dip up some of that whiskey if I wasn't afraid my hand would dissolve in the fumes. <laughs> O'Shea! Keep your shirt on. How do you like that? Why, a man in his position is a public servant. It's, it's like me with the mail. Neither snow, nor rain, nor heat, nor saddle sores, nor hostile Indians is supposed to keep me from my duty. And concerned, it ought to be the same with him. Now, what is the idea, Charlie, making a racket like that? Are you still selling whiskey, or are you giving up and going in a dry goods? Hang on, you'll get your drink. I got more important things to do than dish out rock gut to cantankerous stage drivers. Now, wait a minute, just hold on. What's the matter? 
Now, listen, O'Shea, it's, it's all right for me to call your whiskey poison and rot gut, but it, it ain't fitting for you to do it. What are you blithering about now? Well, if you ain't got no confidence in your stock, well, I ain't going to buy none. I'll just take my trade somewhere else. Yeah? Just, uh, where do you figure to take it, Charlie? Well, I got the only saloon in Frenchman's Ford, and this here town is surrounded on four sides by water. The only other drink you can get retail is a physic up to Dock Six Guns, or horse liniment down to the livery stable. The only other whiskey in town is in closed barrels down to the express office, and that is on consignment to me. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I reckon you're right. Well, in that case, I guess I'll reconsider. That's better. Now, what'll it be, barrel or bottle? discovered the fiscal influence of Mr. Kale until the next day when Doc dropped in for dinner at the Bull Run. Doc, have you ever been in on the ground floor? Often. That's where I keep my horse. Oh, now, Doc, be serious. I mean it. How would you like to be in on the inside of the biggest financial syndicate since John Jacob Astor? Not very much. Now, Doc, that ain't the way to talk. Oh, Shay, just what is all this? Is that Kale fellow working some skin game on you? Doc, it ain't no skin game. He's on the level. Oh, sure, sure. I mean it. Doc, <clears throat> you are talking to the president of the Frenchman's Ford Land and Natural Resources Development Company. Kale's the treasurer. I figured he would be. Now, Doc, you lack confidence. I certainly do. Just what are you developing with this company, O'Shea? Well, uh, you know, like it says, <clears throat> natural resources. Mm -hmm. Doc, you're a good friend of mine, and I want to give you a chance before the small, smart Wall Street men snap up all the stock. O'Shea, you simple-minded idiot. Why don't you just take your money and put it in a great big gunny sack and hand it to this sharp? Now, Doc, you ain't being fair. Mr. Kale ain't no sharper. He's a financier. I can't understand it, O'Shea. You can spot a deadbeat in the bull run the length of the bar. How can you to be so confounded foolish about Cale? Doc, you, you, you really think he's going to skin me? Oh, he's practically got you stuffed and mounted. Well, I don't know. He sounds real convincing. And when he gets to talk about them railroad fellers and millionaires and all... Now look, look, O'Shea. Have you given him any money yet? No, not yet. Oh, that's good. There isn't a doubt in my mind that your Mr. Jared Kale is crooked as a dog's hind leg. Uh, doctor, what? good morning. Did I hear you mention my name? You might have. Doc here says it's a skin game. He says you're out to police me. Well, well, we meet that sort of thing all the time in our profession. Now, don't let it worry you, Mr. O'Shea. What do you mean, don't let it worry me? Are you or ain't you? Mr. O'Shea, I know of only one way to meet an insinuation of this sort. Now, how much money have we discussed as your share of the capital investment? Uh, $2,000. Well, uh, gentlemen, do you recognize this banknote? Well, yes, that's a note on the Drover's Bank of Chisholm City. A sound bank, gentlemen? Yes. Well, here, sir, are $5,000 in banknotes issued by the Drover's National. More than twice Mr. O'Shea's investment. Uh, here you are, Doc. What do you mean? What are you giving them to me for? I want you to hold this money in escrow, as it were, to prove my good faith. This would more than cover any money Mr. O'Shea risks in the company. <sighs> well, now, that seems fair, don't it, Doc? Well, uh, yes. yes I, oh, it does. They're good notes, all right. Well, <clears throat> there you are, Doc. I trust my reputation is once more 
Unsullied. And now, Mr. O'Shea, uh, a word with you in your private office? Why, uh, I ain't got no office, but uh, if we kind of crouch behind the bar down at the end, we can be private. Uh, we, uh, <laughs> well, I, I don't think that will be necessary, but we must plan. We have great things to accomplish, you and I. <laughs> showed the banknotes around town. There was no doubt. They were genuine notes on the drover's national, not counterfeit. And O'Shea went on planning the development of the natural resources of Frenchman's Ford. It was about this time that O'Shea found he had other troubles. He showed up at Doc's place looking a little red at the back of the neck. Doc? you got to give me something. Oh, what is it, O'Shea? You're back again? No, it's my head and my stomach. Doc, I'm so mad I'm just coming apart. i got to talk now, to somebody. Now, now, look, hold on, O'Shea. Here. What is it you want? Somebody to listen to your troubles or a dose of salt? I don't rightly know. Doc, it is the most aggravating, outrageous... Take Ooh. it easy, O'Shea. You know what happened? What with the town cut off by the flood, I had a pretty good business going on, and I ran plumb through the four barrels of whiskey I had in the place. So naturally, I go down to the express office to pick up a half a dozen more barrels. I just leave them down there until I'm ready for them, and he, Tucker takes the storage out and trade. Now, now, relax, O'Shea. You'll have a stroke. Well, I'm likely to, I tell you. Doc, if you're called on to plug up a couple of bullet holes and eat Tucker, you'll know who done it. Uh, just what is it? Well, I went down there to pick up my stock, and that lily-livered sheep herder has got the nerve to tell me it ain't mine. What do you mean? He says I didn't pay for the whiskey when it first come in, and since it ain't been claimed, my option on it run out. That doesn't sound like Eve Tucker. He offered me a price on it. Doc, do you know what that no-good crowbait horse thief wants me to pay for my own whiskey? One hundred dollars a barrel. Why, I ain't never paid more than $12 since I opened a saloon. You're not going to pay it, are you? That's just the miserable part of it, Doc. I ain't got no choice. What with the town cut off with no whiskey, I close up. Why don't you? Doc, have you got any idea what my life would be worth in this town if and I cut off the only supply of whiskey at a time like this? I'd lose all the goodwill I ever had. I've just got to pay that miserable old coot his $100 a barrel and take a lick at him. O'Shea, maybe i better go have a talk with Eve Tucker. There's something fishy in his whole deal. I wish you'd do something, Doc. I already paid him $500. Doc, he's got me over a barrel. day that the rain finally stopped. And the day after that, Doc finally got the chance to go down and talk with Eve Tucker. Uh, when he got back to the saloon, O'Shea was in a foul mood. Doc, would you say it was justifiable homicide if I took my forty-five and went down and shot Eve Tucker full of holes? Hold on, O'Shea. I think I'm getting to the bottom of this. Well, I tell you, I'm getting to the bottom of my cash box. Huh. 
And you was afraid that Mr. Kale was a crook. That reminds me, O'Shea. How much money did you give Mr. Kale? You were talking about $2,000. Now, Doc, you are on the wrong track. I didn't give him no $2,000. I didn't give him but $130 till his letter of credit could get through the flood. $130, huh? That just about comes out right. Huh? What do you mean? I just had a long talk with Eve Tucker. I pointed a few things out to him, O'Shea, such as he's got to keep living in this town when the flood goes down, and I think he saw the light. He, um... He told me he was acting as a salesman when he sold you that whiskey. That's... What do you mean, a salesman? I mean, he didn't own it. Somebody came around and bought up a whole lot of whiskey from him for $130. Now, who in town here would go around buying barrel whiskey for... $130? That's right. And Eve Tucker was just selling the whiskey for this fella? That's right. Kale. That no-good pusillanimous cutthroat. He bought my whiskey with my own money and sold it back to me at $100 a barrel. Now, wait a minute, O'Shea. Hold on. I'm oh. telling you, Doc, get out of my way. I'm going to find that high binding and horned toad and fill him full of leg. Now, wait a minute, O'Shea. You, you won't find it. What do you mean I won't? He can't get far. Not with them rivers roaring around town. Old Baldy was down three feet this morning. Andy Michaels saw Mr. Kale ford the creek around 10 o'clock. You mean he got away? Look out, Doc. I'm going to get my horse. O'Shea. I... What? I'm afraid he was riding your horse. He... Doc, you got your satchel ready? Because I think I'm likely to faint. How much do you figure he got away with, O'Shea? Okay. Well, uh, I guess about close to $1,800, counting the horse. Well, then you've got the last laugh. You like How's that? I guess he didn't have a chance to finish out whatever his scheme was. What more could he take? My pants? Oh, no, no. I mean, he, he left this. What's that? The $5,000 in Drover's bank notes. I guess they're yours, okay? I... Say, that's right. I, I, I clean forgot about that, Doc. And these is good notes. Everybody in town says so. No doubt of it. This is a genuine $5,000 in Drover's national bank notes. Well, well, how do you like that? The confounded little sharper outsharped himself. <laughs> Doggone if I don't make... <laughs> Let me see. Uh, the $3,200 in the deal. Well, <laughs> congratulations, O'Shea. I guess you developed at least one natural resource in Frenchman's Ford. <laughs> I guess I did. Doggone it, Doc. I gotta celebrate. Boys, the drinks is on the house. <laughs> Doc... Are you sure I can't set you up for something? Oh, I'll take it out and beat the come in. $3,200. I'll be doggone clocking his own trap. Stage got through from Chisholm City. The stage is in. Charlie, Charlie, step right up. The drinks is on the house. I'm celebrating. Well, that's just fine. <laughs> Make mine a double. <laughs> yes, sir. We're going to celebrate. Well. <laughs> say the, the, the darndest news. Al Evans come in driving the state just told me. You'd never guess in a million years. Yeah? <laughs> what is it? <laughs> the Drover's Bank in Chisholm City went bust. What? Yeah, it was all over a week and a half ago. There ain't a nickel left in it. Why, it must have happened just before I drove that last stage over to Frenchman's Ford. Yeah, the big news like that, and we didn't hear a word of it on account of the flood. He knew. Doc, he knew. 
He knew all the time. Well, who knew? Who knew what? <laughs> Funniest thing you ever saw. Folks in Chisholm City using them drovers' banknotes to stuff up holes in the wind. <laughs> they ain't worth the paper they're printed on. <laughs> well, uh, O'Shea, uh, how about another? Uh, still on the house? Charlie, go over to my table and get my satchel. He fainted. <laughs> You've been listening to Dr. Sexgun, brought to you transcribed each week at this same time by the National Broadcasting Company. Doc Sixgun is played by Carl Weber and Pablo by William Griffiths. Today's script was written by Ernest Canoy. Heard in the cast were William Keane as O'Shea, Louis Van Ruten as Jared P. Kale, and Jim Bowles as Charlie. Dr. Sixgun, a radio production of the National Broadcasting Company, is directed by Harry Frazee. Dr. Sixgun, starring Carl Weber as the frontier doctor, with William Griffiths as Pablo, the wandering gypsy, has come to you through the worldwide facilities of the United States Armed Forces Radio and Television Service. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Across the rugged Indian territory rides a tall young man on a mission of mercy. His medical bag strapped on one hip, his six-shooter on the other. This is Dr. Six-Gun. Another episode in the exciting adventure series... Dr. Six-Gun. Gray Matson, M.D., was the gun-toting frontier doctor who roamed the length and breadth of the old Indian territory. Friend and physician to white man and Indian alike, the symbol of justice and mercy in the lawless west of the 1870s, this legendary figure was known to all as... 
Dr. Six-Gun. The building which is now the public school in Frenchman's Ford at one time used to be the roughest gambling house in the Indian Territory. It was operated by a woman named Belle Porter. They used to say of her that she could outride, outshoot, and outcourse the devil himself. And I believe it. <laughs> Who am I? I am Pablo the Gypsy. And I am a peddler. <laughs> this is Midnight. He is supposed to be a talking raven. And although I talk to him constantly when I am on the road... He has yet to answer with any great wit. Huh? <laughs> well, to get back to my story, Bell Porter was married to a little balding man named Gentle Sam. Since Bell herself was six feet tall, they made quite a couple. Nobody laughed, however, unless he wanted to bring Bell Porter's anger on his head. And she had pistol with more than one cowboy who thought he was a man. The way in which the gambling house became a schoolhouse concerns my friend Doc Sixcom. It all began one afternoon in front of Bell Porters. I had stopped by for some relaxation. Oh! Ah! Oh, you! Oh! Ah! Oh! Ah! <laughs> all right, midnight, you stay here. I'm going inside for a while. <laughs> I noticed a battered old prairie wagon in front of the place. A young woman sat on the seat. She looked very thin and anxious. I went in. All right, gentlemen, place them there. I'll place your bed. Here's some blue chips. Uh, just a moment, sir. You've already had your limit. $25, I lost more than that. We extend credit up to half your losing. Well, I'm good for it. Um, just a minute. Bill, sweetheart. What is it, Angel? Uh, excuse me a second, Jams. This gopher in the blue jeans wants more credit. He's dropped 50 bucks a dollar at a time, and he's 25 into the house already. He's from that springy-looking prairie wagon outside, ain't he? The one that's going back east instead of west? That's him. I heard they run out of supplies and couldn't make it, so they're trying to get back to Pennsylvania. Better shut him off. Whatever you say, dear. Sorry, mister. No more chips. No more chips. Listen, I come in here and dropped the last 50 bucks I had in the world in this game, and now you shut me off. What kind of place you running? Rules the house. Well, I'm changing the rules. Well, hey, mister, I'd advise you not to point that six-shooter at me like that. You give me 25 blue chips, see, and put them on the number I've been playing. Very well. Hold it! Put down that gun, mister. That'll I bet. You put it down now, or I'll put a slug in your head with this six-shooter. Well, what'll it be, mister? Okay, lady. Good. Now, you get out of here and don't let me see you again. All right, gents. Game's open. You, Charlie? Yeah. Well? I lost. Charlie. Okay, it was a crazy idea gambling our last 50 bucks, but 
She wouldn't have made it on 50 anyway. Charlie. Yeah. What does this mean? You know what we agreed on. Yes. I know. Well? I keep thinking maybe in the next town. The next town is 800 miles away. But, Charlie... It'll be the same there. The only thing is to do like I said we should do. Look, we ain't had no decent food for weeks, Nancy. Billy, she can't live like that. She's sick already. I can't do it. I just can't. I can't. Look, you walk down to the edge of town, see? I'll look up somebody and get him to agree to take care of Lily. Then I'll pick you up. Okay? Charlie, couldn't we sell the wagon? Get the law after me. Oh, you shouldn't have stole that eating stuff. Well, what was I supposed to do? Let us all starve to death. Now, come on. You get going and I'll meet you. Okay. I'll give you a hand. All right. Lily, she, she's in the back of the wagon asleep. I'll just, I'll just make sure that she's... see. Why make it harder for yourself? Go ahead, start walking. About five minutes later, I left Bell Porter's and went out to my wagon. I saw somebody slip away in the shadows, but I paid no attention. I walked over to the wagon. Oh, hush, hush, you magpie. What is it, old bird? I haven't seen you so excited since the time you thought you'd laid a dozen eggs on the pool table at O'Shea's bar. (laughs) Well, it's time to be moving along. (laughs) So now you're imitating babies, eh? Very good. Well, that sound didn't come from you. Good heavens, it came from the back of my wagon. What's this? Oh, no. No, 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 no. What's wrong? I've had a baby. Huh? I mean, I've got a baby. Oh, baby, is that... A what? Look here in this blanket. What? It's a baby. Well, I was trying to tell you. I found it in my wagon. Baby? You sure, Bill? I've seen him before, you know. How did he get in Pablo's wagon? She must have been left there. Hey, hey, look. There's a note under the blanket. Let me read it. Yeah, you read it. And dear kind people, we just can't make it no further. We, Lily is her name. She ain't at for two days, so please take care of her. And God bless you and keep you. Well, I'll be. Does this mean they have left the child? Who do you suppose it was? I think it must have been some folks from the wagon train which passed through here. Where can you imagine that? Sounds like it's in pain. Pablo, you give me that blanket a minute and get your wagon ready. We'll take the baby over to Doc's hip gun and let him have a look at her. 
she's under nourished, but otherwise she seems pretty healthy. Look at her take a bottle, will you? Yeah. With some care and love. Oh, look at her, Sam. She's smiling. Ain't that a little precious? Uh, oh, I was saying, with a little care and love. Oh, what is going to happen, Doctor? There's no one here to care for the baby. Well, we'll just have to find someone. She wasn't undernourished. We could send her east oh, to the yes. foundling home in St. Louis, but the trips are rough on overland. Well, since she was found in your wagon, Pablo, I reckon she's your responsibility. Mine. Mine? No, no. How can, how can I care for her? Can I take her on the wagon with me? If I stay in one place, we would both starve. Including midnight. That's the most precious little thing I have. Well, we'll just have to risk sending her overland to the next stage. Overland? Who said anything about sending her any place? Oh, sweetheart, somebody has to take care of her. Somebody will. Well, who might that be, darling? You, Sam. Me. And me, of course. No, no, just a minute, Belle. You serious about taking care of this baby? Well, till she's well, Doc. But she... Well, you, you've never had any experience with baby. Well, well uh, what I don't know, Sam here can tell me. You see, he raised up six kid brothers and sisters when his ma had to go to work for a living. Ain't that right, Sam? Well, yes, but yeah. that was a long time ago. Mm. Doc, you got a book of reading about babies? As a matter of fact, I uh, I do have a few government pamphlets. Well, that's fine. We'll take them. Uh, Sam can read them to me tonight. Who uh, on the rule Oh, one of the boys can run it. Come on, Sam. I'll just gather up this little precious and we're going home. So Belle Porter took the little baby girl to live with her in her apartment behind the gambling casino. And a strange new chapter was written in the history of Frenchman's Fork. All right, boys. Place your bet. Place your bet. Hey, gentle, I hear you become a father. Where's the cigar? Very funny. <laughs> well, Belle ain't exactly the motherly type, you know. Who says I ain't? Well, uh, uh no offense, Belle. Okay, Sam, you go up and babysit for a while, huh? I'll run the wheel. Whatever you say, darling. Yeah, and if she wakes up, change her diapers and warm a bottle. Whatever you say. And call me if she ain't happy. All right, Jess. Well, she goes. And where's she stop? Lord only knows. Hey, Billy. Yeah? Uh, do something for me, would you? What, Bill? Here's a hundred dollars. Go out and buy me a nice milk cow. Well, it's almost midnight. They got a law against selling cows after midnight? Well, uh, I don't reckon so. Then go buy me one. Oh, and keep the change if there is any. Oh, well, thanks, Belle. Uh, kid needs plenty of milk, you know. Sure, sure. I'll see what I can do up to the Osage Nation. I think uh, Chief Rainmaker has some milk cows. Yeah, well, you tell him if he don't give me a good one, I'll come up there and scalp him personally. <laughs> The coming of the baby to Belle Porter's casino made uh, quite a difference. Everything went very well until about a week later when I was staying at Doc Sigzon's place. Doc! Doc, wake up! Hey, Doc, wake up! Oh, Sam, what is it? Sam, oh, get the doc. Tell him to come right over. What's the trouble? The baby, she's sick. Terrible sick. <laughs> Lily. Well, now, let's, let's have a look. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She's been crying all night like she was in awful 
pain. She is. Is it serious? It is to her. But I wouldn't worry if I was you, Belle. She's just gotten a few teeth. Mighty early, too. Cutting teeth? Sam, to hear that, our little girl is going to have teeth. Oh, Belle, this ain't our little girl. Well, uh, after manner of speaking, you know, Doc, Sam and me never haven't had any children of our own. It's been, well, it's been quite a new feeling for me. <laughs> Will you listen to that horsing around? Uh, oh, excuse me a minute, Doc. said quiet. What's wrong, Belle? If you boys want to gamble at Belle Porter's, you'll have to cut out that they're carrying on. Ringo, muffle that roulette wheel. There's a baby trying to sleep in here. Another week went by. Belle Porter closed the casino at 7 o'clock every night. Which didn't leave much time for the cowhands and the Indians to lose their money. But Belle said she had more money than she knew what to do with anyway, so it didn't matter. And meanwhile, out on the prairie, many miles to the east, moved a lone prairie schooner pulled by two starving oxen. Oh, oh. Go right, Nancy. I don't think I can go much further, Charlie. We can't stop here, honey. We're miles from water. Charlie. What? I, I just keep thinking about Lily. Yeah, I know. You too. Yes. It's been two weeks now. I've been counting the days too. Charlie. What? Let's go back. Go back. Please, Charlie, please, let's go back. But, honey, I told you she's in good hands, nice, kind folks. I don't care. I want to see my baby. Charlie, I want to see my baby. Nancy, we can't make it. We'll leave our bones on that prairie if we turn back now. What's the difference if we leave them here or further east? Charlie, please. Please. All right, Nancy. We'll turn around. Look! Oh! And the change in Belle Porter was most interesting. For example, she stopped wearing two six-guns and began to carry only a small derringer in her pocketbook. Also, she began to spend much more time taking the baby for rides in her buckboard instead of running the roulette wheel at the casino. There, now. Let's put a pretty ribbon in baby's hair. <laughs> My, ain't that enough to take the rag off the bush. Look at her, Sam. Oh, I'm looking at you, Belle. Me? First time I ever seen you put a ribbon in your hair. Oh, well, I I just did it as a joke. Looks real pretty. Now, Sam, you know I was in the back row when faces was passed out. Oh, I never thought so, Belle. When you asked me to marry you, I thought you were a right handsome woman. <laughs> Say, Sam, I've been thinking... Maybe we could buy a little ranch in the valley, you know, uh, someplace me and Lily could have peace and quiet. Maybe near some neighbors with kids. Or who'd run the casino? You. Me? Why not? Oh, I don't know, Belle. The casino's a rough place. Why, 
I can't hit the side of a mountain with a six-shooter. And when it comes to fighting, I've got the strength of 15 butterflies. Well, it's about time you took your rightful place as a man in this family. Well, I've been wanting to do that for 14 years, only you was never willing to take your rightful place as a woman. Please, not till Lily come along. What do you say we give it a try anyway? Shoots me, Belle. Let's do it, huh? Okay. One yes. thing, though. <laughs> what? From now on, we're calling the place Sam's Casino. Huh? If it's all right with you, sweetheart. Oh, it's all right with me, Sam. Come on, pumpkin. You're going to see Doc Six Gun with your ma. Well, you ain't no right to call yourself a ma. If you can call Belle Porter's gambling house Sam's Casino, I can call myself Lily's ma. Yes, all the Frenchmen's board was amazed at the way Belle Porter suddenly became interested in being a pretty woman instead of a tough female sharpshooter. And the change in Sam Porter was miraculous. Uh, when he showed up at the casino the next night... Will you look at that? Holy... All right, boys! Damn it open! If I didn't see it with my own eyes, I'd swear it was the fake. Gentle Sam Porter wearing his wife six guns. <laughs> Anybody got any objection? <laughs> Suppose we have. What are you going to do about yeah, it? I'll show you what. Get out. No, come on, Sam. Who are you bluffing? You ain't welcome here tonight, Billy. Well, now, just supposing I ain't going. What are you going to do? Call Bell? <laughs> Not at all. I'm going to put some lead in. Wait. No, no, no. Easy, Sam. Uh, careful with them guns. You going to behave like a gentleman while you're in my place? Sure, Sam. Sure. All right, boys. Game's open. Place your bet. Place your bet. Everything went along fine for a few more weeks until one hot, dusty afternoon when a skinny ox pulled a wreck of a prairie wagon to a stop in front of Doc Sixgun's place. Sometime later, Doc closed the door to his office. How is she, Doc? I put her to bed, Charlie. She's very weak. Oh, we've been a month on the prairie coming back here. If it wasn't for some Osage Indians, we'd have starved to death. She, um, she keeps asking for a baby, Charlie. Do you and your wife have a baby? Well, we had one, Doc. Did you lose it? Not exactly. Tell me. I, uh, I left it here. You, you did. We didn't have no money, no job. Lois after me for stealing food to eat for the West. I know the baby would never make it back to St. Louis. I didn't figure we could make it ourselves. So, we left it figuring a little baby like that, somebody'd sure take care of it. I see. Only we just couldn't go on without it, Doc. We had to come back. I don't even know who's taking care of the baby. Do you? Uh, yes, 
Uh, I know. Tell me, huh? Charlie, maybe you better let me have a talk with the folks who have your baby. I think it'd be better that way. Doc's here, Nancy. He, he brought the lady what's been taking care of Lily. Oh, let me see my baby, please. Go on in, Belle. I'll wait outside. You, uh, Lily's mom? Yes. How is she? She's asleep in this blanket. Oh, please, let me hold her, please. Well, all right, but be careful. Look. Ain't you wonderful? Oh, Mama, sweet darling. You know, if you're sick, you better not hold it too long. I, I'll take her now. Oh, please let me have it. Just another second. Oh. All right. Here. I don't hold much with folks who leave babies. Oh, I'll never let her go again. Never. You think you're going to have her again? Of course. You can't do that. Miss Porter, Nancy's sick. I don't care if she's dying. Now, you listen to me. You folks are starving. You can't take care of this child proper. I got more than I can spend if I live three lives. I can give Lily all the things she ought to have, everything. Charlie, what does she mean? I mean, you leave her with me and she'll never want. You really love her like you say, then you'll be thinking about her. Oh, I could. Yes, you could. Maybe. Maybe she's right, Nancy. Right? Charlie, how can you talk like that? I want my baby. I don't care what happens. Nobody's going to take her away from me again. Nobody. Bell Porter went out to talk to Doc, leaving the baby with his mother. Doc, you got any whiskey? For medicinal purposes, Bell? Give me a shot. For medicinal purposes, I'm going to need it. Bell, what about the baby? She wants it. These folks as poor as church mice, Doc. They ain't got nothing but rags and a half-starved ark. I know that. But they can love just as much as rich folks. Yeah. I seen how she took the baby. Mm-hmm. Say, uh, you got a pen, Doc? Uh, yeah, right here. And a piece of paper, huh? Uh, here you are. Thanks. Now then, Doc, I'm going to ask you to give this to Lily's Ma and Pa. What is it? Well, it's a... Draft on the casino for $10,000 made out to Lily's parents in trust for her. You see, I want she should have all the advantages that I never had. Now, how about that shot? Sure, sure, Bell. Coming right up. Back at the casino, Sam Porter was running the roulette game. All right, gentlemen, where's your bet? Where's Bell, Sam? I seen Bell going into Doc Sixgun's place. Is the baby all right, Sam? She's all right, Billy. Just going for a checkup, that's all. Glad to hear everything's all right. All right, gentlemen, all bets in. Ready to spin. Okay, here we go. Hold it. Bell. What? You got your old outfit on and... Them ribbons you was wearing in your hair are gone. That's right, Sam. I'll take over the game now. Oh, 
boys. Game's uh, open. Make you your bet. Here we go. <laughs> Sam, give me my gun. Sam, my gun? No, Bill. What do you mean, no? I mean I'm running the game and I'm wearing the gun. Are you crazy? You're the one who's crazy, Bill. We've been real happy, you and me, for the first time in our lives. And I know what it's like to feel like a husband for a change. Well, I ain't going back to being gentle Sam anymore, and that's final. Sam, you give me them guns or I'm going to punch you right in the... Hey, easy now, easy, easy. Bill, Bill, darling, you all right? Boy, help me get her over to Doc Six. Hurry up. Come on, boy. Hurry, hurry. Is she all right, Doc? She's fine, Sam. Oh, my. What happened? You fainted, Bill. Fainted? No, Doc, I, I do feel kind of funny. You ought to feel happy. Happy? Well, why, Doc? Bill, you're going to have a baby. I'm... Uh, 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 Sam, did you hear that? Oh, no! Well, don't just stand there, Sam. Go home and start fixing up Lily's room again. Put some fresh paint on it, huh? <laughs> what color? Uh, pink. Yeah, pink. It's going to be a girl. And her name is going to be... Lily Bell. And that is how Bell Porter gave up the gambling casino. She and Sam donated it to the town for a school right after the baby was born. And her child is attending that school today. <clears throat> His name is uh, Sam. Sam Porter Jr. You have been listening to Dr. Six Gun. Doc Six Gun is played by Carl Weber and Pablo by William Griffith. Today's script was written by George Lefferts. Heard in the cast were Betty Gard as Belle, Louise Troy as Nancy, Bill Lipton as Charlie, William Keene as Billy, and Roger DeCoven as Gentle Sam. Dr. Sixgunt is directed by Fred Way. FBM presents You've Been Listening to Western Adventure with Handgun Will Travel, starring Ben White as Paladin and the adventures of Dr. Sixgun. Join us again tomorrow night at the same time when FBM presents half comedy and half detective drama. Fibber McGee and Molly and Broadway is my beat. Tomorrow, Fibber is going to ride his horse as Grand Marshal in the big parade on part one of FBM Presents. This is Navy journalist Dan Jurgensen speaking. Across the rugged Indian territory rides a tall young man on a mission of mercy, his medical bag strapped on one hip, his six-shooter on the other. This is Dr. Six-Gun. The National Broadcasting Company brings you another episode in the exciting adventure series, Dr. Six-Gun. 
Gray Matson, M.D., was the gun-toting frontier doctor who roamed the length and breadth of the old Indian territory. Friend and physician to white men and Indian alike, the symbol of justice and mercy in the lawless west of the 1870s, this legendary figure was known to all as Dr. Six-Gun. The territory is a place where men look up to the skies and call out to heaven in many different ways. We have seen the wagons of the Mormons rolling west, Dunkards, Mennonites, the Catholic Padres of the Spanish missions to the south and the west, and in the Indian country, the worship of the Manitou, the sun, and the spirits of the dead goes on as it has for a thousand years before the coming of the white man. Uh, sometimes these different peoples, overwhelmed with their separate truths, have uh, been somewhat impatient to each other. Of course, I am a neutral. I am the brother of whoever made needles or pins or a yard of ribbon. And who am I? <laughs> Pablo, the gypsy Pablo. <laughs> And this is my friend, Midnight. Midnight. He is a raven, but a philosopher. Oh, man of brother. You see, a humanist. Birds, too. And a universalist. <laughs> of course, in the territory, a place of violent death and violent life, many men face eternity with a curse and a defiant pistol shot into the quiet sky. Such a man was Harvey Fraser. He was standing at the end of the bar at the Bull Ron Saloon one night, drinking quietly. I was sitting at a table with Doc Six Gum when O'Shea, proprietor of the Bull Ron, came up to the table. Evening, Doc. Everything all right? O'Shea, Piney's cooking is improving week by week. <laughs> this steak is much tenderer than the one I had last Monday. It uh, ain't Piney that's improving, Doc. It's the side of beef both them steaks come off of. It's aging and mellowing. Hmm. Too bad the same can be said for your whiskey. <laughs> I don't get the turnover in beef I get in whiskey. It ain't got time to age. Sometimes it ain't got the time to quit sloshing around in the barrel from the wagon ride over from the distillers in Chisholm City. Well, you keep right on serving it, O'Shea. I'm figuring on all the cases of whiskey poisoning and delirium tremens to support me in my old age. <laughs> you can't fool me, Doc. You keep talking temperance every time you get the chance. I don't mind. Every man to his own brand of foolishness. Which reminds me, I wish you could talk a little temperance to Harvey Fraser over there. Was that the tall cowpoke at the end of the bar? Yeah. He comes in here every week and starts in on a bottle. He gets quieter and quieter and meaner and meaner until... Well, last week he would have shot Luke Garrett clean through the head. Only his hand wasn't steady enough and he missed. Why do you serve him? His money's as good as the next man's. Besides, he'd get liquored up somewhere else and then come back here looking for me. What do you want me to do? I was wondering, uh, isn't there something, you know, a little powder I could kind of sneak into his drink so he'd uh, just pass out peaceful-like? Don't look at me. Oh, now, Doc, couldn't you see your way now, clear look, to O'Shea, give me... you've got your professional ethics and I've got mine. You serve him your liquor and I keep my medicine for six folks, okay? I might have figured you'd say that, Doc. Well, maybe I can kind of tag him behind the ear with my pistol butt when he ain't looking. It ain't as neat, but it'll keep the ethical situation a little more comfortable all around. About a week after that, Doc and I rode out to the west of town. Doc was riding a circuit of calls, and I had my pack. Hello. What do you know about this Colonel Turo? Oh, nothing. Why? Well, he's my first call. 
He must have bought the Jessamine place down by the river. Sent a note in with a rider. Signed it Arthur Turo, Colonel. Oh, is he with the Army Post at Fort Kane? No. No, I, I know all the officers there. There hasn't been a transfer. I expect it's a southerner still carrying his Confederate rank. Wonder what he'd say if I introduced myself using my rank. Private First Class Matson. <laughs> I must try that sometime. right. The military title was left over from the war. Colonel Turo was a tall graying man. Soft-spoken but with a glint of steel showing through. You think she'll be all right then, Doctor? I see no reason why not. She's a healthy young... uh, healthy woman. You can say it, Doctor. She's young and I'm not. Well, anyway she'll have no trouble giving birth as far as I can see. We figured she's in her fifth month. Well, I'd like to thank you, sir, for traveling this far from town. I would come in myself, but I've been so occupied during the week with putting the ranch to rights. And since I do not travel on Saturday, and I hesitate to intrude on your Sunday... Oh, I'm afraid my Sunday's far from sacred, Colonel. Babies, broken legs, and gunshot wounds have a habit of occurring on the Lord's Day. Sunday? Yes, of course. Oh, uh, you you mentioned Saturday, didn't you? I suppose you're Seventh-day Adventist. No, I'm afraid my attachment to Saturday as the Sabbath antedates the Adventists by some thousands of years. I beg your pardon, Colonel. I'm sorry to confuse you, Doctor. I am, as a matter of fact, of Hebrew persuasion. Oh, does that surprise you, Doctor? Yes, I suppose it does. Frankly, I never met many... Well, what's the right term, Colonel? You have your choice of many, sir. The most desirable ones being Hebrew, Israelite, Jew. It doesn't matter. Well, out here in the territory, there aren't many of you folks. I recall one doctor when I was a student in Boston, but uh, he was a German mostly. I was just surprised. I thought you were a southerner. I am. Well, I mean... Uh... Uh, pray don't concern yourself, doctor. I know quite well what you mean. As a matter of fact, my family has been in Louisiana and a part of Georgia since revolutionary times. We may have perhaps been something of an anomaly since we ran our plantation on free labor. That is unusual. Uh, perhaps. You see, doctor... If you know your Bible, you remember that the children of Israel were slaves in the land of Egypt. Of course, led to freedom by Moses. Well, we have a holiday each year to celebrate that uh, liberation. And I suspect my father became increasingly uncomfortable each year thanking God for the deliverance of his ancestors from bondage while he held the ownership papers of some hundreds or more slaves, several of whom served the dishes of bitter herbs that are supposed to remind us of the bitter days of slavery. I can see that he might. My father, being not only a righteous man, but a good planter as well, freed the slaves and set a reasonable price, taking it out of wages over a good many years. And by the time I came into the property, all our people were free and working for wages. It made us somewhat unpopular in the county. But uh, you fought for the South? Yes, it was my country. Pray do not point out the inconsistency. I'm well aware of it. And now, Doctor, I'd like to invite you to join us this evening. It, uh, it is the eve of the new year. The new year? Our calendar is somewhat ancient, Doctor, and has tended to drag a little. But take my word for it, though. It is the new year. Doc and I were invited to spend this alien holiday with Colonel Turo and his young wife. 
we had apple dipped in honey, which we were told signified the wish for a sweet and prosperous new year. We did not see Colonel Turo again until next week. He came into the bull run on Friday morning and found Doc eating his breakfast. Good morning, Doctor. I'm pleased to see you again. Well, Colonel Turo, what brings you to town? A business, I'm afraid. I've been arranging to import some blooded stock to replace the Longhorn. Uh, won't you join me for breakfast? Well, thank you. O'Shea? Huh? Oh, what is it, Doc? This is Colonel Turo. He'd like some breakfast. Well, sure thing. Uh, what'll it be? Steak? A little pie? Hash? I think just a boiled egg and black coffee, if you will. Oh, that ain't enough breakfast for a fly. Hardly. It'll do nicely, I assure you. Well, all right, but a boiled egg ain't hardly a challenge to finding. <laughs> uh, Colonel, I don't know if I thanked you enough when I was out to your place. I just hope I wasn't intruding on your... Observances. Oh, no, no, not at all, sir. I was about to ask a favor of you. Sure, what is it? Well, it's rather complicated. You see, I won't get my reply from St. Louis about the cattle until afternoon stage gets in from Chisholm City. Now, at that time, I would be unable to reach my home by nightfall. It's a clear trail, though. Besides, it's the full of the moon. You shouldn't have any trouble. I'm afraid I have made my problem clear. At sundown this evening, the Sabbath stopped. I see. Now, I'm afraid I've compromised my inheritance a number of times. Probably if that were all, uh, I I would ride home and... Well, in a modern world, the old ways sometimes are not followed too strictly. But this evening is the start of... uh, Well, the Hebrew word would not mean anything to you. It's Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. That's an important day? It's most solemn of our year, Doctor. It's the day when all the sins of mankind are brought forward for judgment, when we repent and mourn and consider our conscience carefully. It's a day that weighs most heavily on us. For example, I told you of my father freeing his slaves. Well, it was on the Passover that the idea occurred to him. But it was on the Day of Atonement when he examined his heart and set them free. I see. Then you don't want to be traveling on that day. That's right. And more, inasmuch as there is no congregation to hold any services in these parts, I would like to spend the day alone in meditation. Now, at the lodging house, I have been sharing my room with a stockman from Texas. Well, uh, <laughs> he's a cheerful sort, but he, he's not exactly conducive to meditation. <laughs> I wondered if there might be a room in your house. Why, of course, Colonel. It'd be a pleasure. I won't be any trouble. It's our custom to fast on this day, so even that difficulty need not trouble you. There'll be no trouble, Colonel. I'll be proud to have you as my guest on a day that means a lot to you. Contrary to the impression I may have given you, sir, I am not really a particularly pious man. But this day, I feel somehow it is a mark of respect to my father and my people. I suppose you've met Southerners overcome with mourning for their fallen country. Yes, yes, I have. Well, sir, on this day, we mourn our country that fell almost 2,000 years ago. Colonel Turo sat with Doc through the afternoon, waiting for his message on the afternoon stage. He passed the time telling Doc of the customs of his people of the South before Fort Sumter and trading war experiences. 
It was about an hour before sundown when O'Shea came over to Doc's table. Doc. Doc. Uh, excuse me, Colonel. What is it, O'Shea? It's Harvey Fraser. He hasn't been in here today, has it? Yeah, yeah. He was in before you became uh, before you came in. He's he's been fired off the barrel A. And he was in a mean mood. I gave him one drink, then I told him I wasn't going to serve him no more. Well, I thought that was contrary to your professional. Uh... Now look, I'm not joshing, Doc. I told him I don't mind a raucous drunk or even a fighting drunk, but I'm plain scared to death of the quiet, mean kind. I told him to get out. I had my gun on the bar so he'd know I wasn't funning. And he got. Then what's the problem? Well, I told you he'd get his liquor somewhere else. Picked up a quarter mule down at the livery stable, and he's been sucking on it all afternoon. Oh, you think he's coming back here after you? I know darn well he is. Charlie's seen him coming up the street. Uh, he should have given me them pills or something. I... There he is outside the swinging doors. Now, wait, wait. Put those guns up, O'Shea. He may not be shooting. Well, anyways, he finished his bottle. Where is he? Where is that sniveling, psalm-singing barkeep that won't serve a man liquor? Now, take it easy, Harvey. Why, I... You're... Now, Harvey, you're just talking plain foolish. Yeah? Well, you ain't got a gun on me now, O'Shea. As a matter of fact, I got one on you. Now, Harvey... Drop your gun belt to the floor. Go on. Uh, let me put him up on the bar. I, I don't want to get sawdust in the barrel. Now, now wait a minute, Fred. Don't you horn in on Doc. I'm running this here drive. Put them guns down, O'Shea. All right, now you gonna serve me? Ain't you had enough with a quarter mule? I said, are you gonna serve me? Sure, 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 Harvey. What's your pleasure? A whiskey. Make it full measure. And I'm gonna let it go at that, O'Shea. Because I ain't mad at you. I'm looking for some low, sneaking red polecat that took my job. Where does that man work, Doctor? The barrel A, I think. Oh, you know what that crawling hound done to me? He fixed it so as I got fired. The boss says I don't need so many hands now, so Harvey, here's your time. I don't get it. What's this southerner got to do with it? Maybe I can explain. I suppose the owner of the barrel A decided he didn't need as many men after he sold half his range acreage to a newcomer. That's right. Who are you? Arthur Turo. I bought the land from the ballet. Why, you... Look out. You're wearing a gun. Make your move. I want to talk to Make you. Make your move or I'll gun you down right now. All right. All right. Get his gun, O'Shea. My hand. My hand. He didn't hit you, Fraser. He got your gun. I was aiming for his hand. That's some shooting anyways. You've got some move from leather, Colonel. In the old days, it was a fashion in my country among the gentry to duel for slights to their honor. In my case, I was often slighted. And I seldom lost to do. Doc, I can't feel my fingers. Just soak them in cold water. They'll be all right. Maybe you better soak your head, too. I'll take care of that, Doc. I got the dish pail right here. Okay. <laughs> you, you wanted him to sober up, didn't you, Doc? <laughs> You've done this to me, Mr. Colonel, whatever you are. You lost me my job and hurt my hand. All right, now you listen. You and this pot-bellied barkeep are plenty brave when you got my gun. Well, I think you're a no-good cowardly hound. We don't want you or anybody like you in the territory. Coming in and pushing other people out. I thought we settled this. No, no, we didn't. Now you listen. I'll be waiting for you in the street tomorrow morning. Cold sober so my hand's steady. If you get any guts, you'll be there. 
And we'll settle it then. O'Shea, give me my gun. Give it to him. Here you are, Harvey. Now, get out. I'll be waiting for you tomorrow, Colonel. Well, Doctor, if you don't mind as it approaches sundown, I think I'd like to retire. Sure, sure, Colonel. Come on, I'll show you the way. to docks. There was no mention of Harvey Fraser and his challenge. When we got to the house, Colonel Turo opened the carpet bag and took out a prayer book and a long white shawl with a black stripe at each end and fringes. This was my father's prayer shawl. And so the legend goes, his father's before him. Doctor, I'll just ask you to hold my gun. It's not proper for the day, you know. The custom is to follow the biblical injunction to do no work, which is held to mean to carry no money and, of course, no weapons. Actually, Doctor, being alone and not a learned man, I can only make a respectful gesture toward the service. But I do what I can. So, throughout the evening, Colonel Turo sat by himself, wrapped in the old prayer shawl, and read from the prayer books, murmuring the strange language softly to himself. In the morning, Doc had breakfast at the Bull Run, and the Colonel stayed in his room. I think Doc was much impressed. The unfamiliar ritual was somehow awesome. It's real strange. Here you learn in Bible school all about these people. Chances are you never get to really know any. Not in this part of the country. <laughs> You could have fooled me. I would have thought the colonel was an American. O'Shea, when did your father come over from Ireland? 1848, when the potatoes gave out. Why? The colonel had kin way back that signed the Declaration of Independence. Huh? Oh. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I see what you mean, Doc. <clears throat> uh, what did the colonel say about Harvey Fraser? Nothing. Well, Harvey rode into town at sunup. He's been waiting around ever since to catch the colonel on the street. It- O'Shea, you, you mean he seriously intends... He sure does. He's telling anybody who'll listen that the colonel is a yellow dog who's going to sulk in his room all day because he's scared. But I told you, it, it's this very important religious time for the colonel. That don't make no never mind to Harvey. You'll be telling everybody how he made the colonel back down. But the colonel can't fight or even carry a gun today. It's, it's against his religion. I don't know if Harvey will wait till tomorrow. He's really got blood in his eye. He comes in here for a drink maybe every two hours, just so he won't get too much and unsteady his gun hand. Looks to me like the colonel is over a barrel. Doc went back to the house, and about noon, the colonel got up and started for the door. Wait a minute, Colonel. Where are you going? For a walk. Uh, Wait. Uh, I thought... I mean, is that allowed? Oh, it's considered proper to take a short walk on the holy day. But you know, Colonel, this uh, it's a pretty wild town. I'm aware of that, sir. But maybe, maybe because of the day, it'd be better to stay here. I don't take your meaning, sir. Well, Colonel, to be honest, Harvey Fraser is out there waiting for you. Oh, yes. Yes, he said he would be, didn't he? Oh, you can't go out. Why not? Because he'll gun you down. Doctor... In my old home in our country, 
If a man challenged your courage and impugned your honor, there was only one thing to do. You meet him. Oh, then, then you're going to take your gun. No, no. Not today, Doctor. But you, you can't just go out there and, and walk into Harvey Fraser's bullets without your gun, without fighting back. Not today, Doctor. My honor has nothing to do with respect for my father's. Not in this case. I cannot compromise one for the other. Now, if you'll excuse me, Doctor, I'll take my short walk. Colonel, you... You've still got the prayer shawl on. Yes. I trust the townspeople won't find it too startling. An interesting custom. You know, often a man has the same shawl from boyhood. And when he dies, it becomes his shroud. Well, good morning, Doctor. And peace to you. And so, down the street, a Frenchman's Ford walked Colonel Duro. His flat-crowned hat set square on his head, and around his shoulders the yellowing silk of a prayer shawl shipping in the light breeze. He walked slowly and steadily as if it were in respect to the day, as if the measured steps along the board sidewalk were but an aid to meditation and prayer. Doc came charging out of the house after him and crossed diagonally to the bull rock. Oh, say, listen, the colonel's out taking a walk. Where's the sheriff? No, no, Doc. Listen, if Sheriff Hanson doesn't do something, we've got to find Fraser and... You found him, Doc. What? Didn't see me at the end of the bar? Well, I'm glad to know the colonel's out walking. I'll give him a chance to enjoy the fresh air. Then I'll go out and meet him. He hasn't got his guns. (laughs) Don't hand me that, Doc. man who shoots like that ain't without his guns. O'Shea, a little drink. A short one, just for sociability, but not enough to shake your hand. Harvey, let the colonel alone. This is an important day for him. Yeah, sure is, Doc. Get that drink, O'Shea. You see how far the old goat got down the street? Huh? Coming back this way. All right, O'Shea. My drink. Here you are. Well, I'm right sorry to run off like this. But I got an appointment with a polecat for a little walk down the street. Adios, Doc. There was nothing too unusual in the scene. A dozen times in the last year, two men have stood in the dust of the street at Frenchman's Ford. A dozen times, the loungers in front of the livery stable have died for cover, and the barber has run out to put up his shutters. Harvey Fraser stood in the street, his legs planted wide apart, his Stetson jammed back on his head, his hand hanging limp on the level with his gun butt. We've seen that many times in the territory. And then, Harvey started forward, walking slowly to meet the colonel, who stepped down the middle of the street now, as if he were on parade with his regiment. All right, you yellow dog. Make your move. Can't he see the colonel hasn't got his gun? I don't think he cares. I'm going to stop him. I wouldn't, Doc. Harvey'd gun you down in the east parts. He'd get off scot-free. Jury don't hold with one fella interfering with another man's fight. It's murder. There ain't nothing to do but wait, Doc. That's all. <laughs> Sir, they came together on the street. 
and we could see that the colonel seemed to be talking to himself in that strange tongue of so many years ago. Draw. Go ahead, you old wall-eyed steer. Draw. I give you your chance. Uh... Don't come no closer. I'm going... I'm going to gun you down. Draw. All right, you think I won't. You... What's the matter with my eyes? There. I drew my gun. Now make your move. If you take one step more, I'm going... He's down. Come on, Jose. He just fell down like he'd been poleaxed. I got his gun, Doc. What happened, Doctor? I'd already said the prayer for the dead for myself. Shall I rope him, Doc? I don't think you'll have to, O'Shea. When he comes to, he's going to be violently sick to his stomach. Is he ill? I'm too old a man to believe that the Lord intervened in Frenchman's Ford the way he did in Babylon. If it was the Lord, Colonel, he done it through Doc. Uh, never mind, O'Shea. Well, he ought to know. Uh, Doc took my advice, finally. He fixed Harvey's last drink while he was looking out the door. And say, <laughs> by the way, what did you put in it, Doc? I'd rather not say. But he isn't going to be too comfortable for a few days. <laughs> I should thank you, Doctor. Colonel, I should not have let you go out. No, it was my decision. And now, if you will allow me, Doctor, I should get back to my prayers. I'm afraid I have a grave sin for which to atone. I allowed it to profane a holy day with violence. A sin. How do you figure that, then? False pride, Doctor. Pride, so that a thing as shallow as honor could be allowed to interrupt the holy day. You have been listening to Dr. Six-Gun, brought to you each week at this time by the National Broadcasting Company. Six Gun is played by Carl Weber and Pablo by William Griffiths. Today's script was written by Ernest Kenoy. Heard in the cast were William Keane as O'Shea, Bill Adams as Colonel Turo, and Les Damon as Harvey Fraser. mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.